0: You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Exodus. The book of Exodus underlines God's desire to rescue people from their misery to a life of promise, meaning, and fulfillment. This eight-week series explores key moments within Exodus in order to more fully appreciate God's love for people. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, it's the summertime and uh, with summer comes the blockbuster movie, right? So if you like uh, 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 predictable plot lines, if you like uh, special effects, uh, if you like highly paid actors because they spend time in the gym, not necessarily because they're acting skills and you love, you love, love the blockbuster. Um, If you want something that's a little bit more thought-provoking, better acting, you're gonna have to wait till the fall. In fact, 13 out of the last 16 Oscar-winning movies all came out between October and December. And so all, all, those, all those great movies, unlike the movies that you would see in the summer, movies like um, Bad Neighbors 2 or Fast and Furious 8 um, or Ice Age 5. Um, these are all the kind of movies that you will see in the summer because these are the ones that sell these are this you know like we just want to be entertained. I don't want to think. I just want like big special effects. I want a cartoon. I want some suspense. I just, just want that. And so that's what's coming out now. And I bring that all up just to say that we are uh, starting a series in Exodus. And in the temptation would be to think of this series as like all special effects, but you know it's just you know there's bad acting. Uh, So, I mean, this amazing graphic. It's just, you know, look at that. The parting of the Red Sea. It almost is like a a movie. In fact, the the sixth highest grossing movie of all time is about the Exodus. And so you have all these, these things. Water coming out of rock, you know, lightning striking stone tablets and creating some laws. You've got the plague part one, the plague part two, the plague part... I mean, you have all that. So, But I don't want us to think that because actually in... The Old Testament, in particular the Exodus, there is deep, deep, rich meaning. And that's why we're going to take the next eight weeks to uh, explore Exodus. Because we're going to look about like, man, we were in this bondage in slavery. And we've been taken out to salvation. We've We've been saved from that. We've been brought into this new life of purpose and meaning in hope, and we're going to explore that. So I don't want this dichotomy to be t- between the Old Testament and New Testament, especially passages like Exodus that tell it to us in a story form. Some have said the Old Testament is the New Testament contained, and the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. They go together, and there's some deep meaning here for us. And we're going to start with this series with one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, Moses and the burning bush. And what we're going to look at is what it looks like for a human being to encounter true spiritual reality. Moses was a person who believed in God, uh, but it wasn't until this moment that God became a living reality for him. So I want to look at three questions. How is God revealed? How does Moses respond and what makes this possible? So how is God revealed? Well, he's revealed as fire right? He's revealed as fire. It's meeting the God of fire. And you may be here this morning, um, and you may be like Moses pre-Exodus 3. Uh, you believe in God, but he's not really a living reality. A lot of people view God like hydrogen. You know, in school, you learned that there was hydrogen and water, and then you went on to the matters that were important to your life. Yeah, I believe in hydrogen, but I don't really think about it a whole lot. So the polls come around. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God, but it doesn't not really a living reality to me Moses meets a living spiritual reality that's why it's important to see God as fire because unlike dirt or water or or clay like the toucher I mean you can you can manipulate you can move water around with your hand you can move dirt around with your hand and so the the dirt is shaped by the toucher but you stick your hand in fire and fire shapes the toucher Consumes it, shapes it, molds it. A few weeks ago, I met a guy who um, found out I was a pastor, and then like trying to connect with me, he's like, "Oh, I knew a Christian once." Yeah, now we're now we're now we're now we're on the same page. And so he's like, "Yeah, I knew a Christian once, and you know, but you know, Christianity's not really." You know, for me, you know, I, I can't, it doesn't really fit my lifestyle. I need a spiritual reality that meets my needs. Here's the problem. If you're here this morning, you hear the problem. The problem with trying to pursue a God or meet with a God or meet with a spiritual reality that meets your needs. A problem with that, someone who's tailored to herself, who could never contradict us. The problem with a God who can't contradict you is that if he can't contradict you, he can't help you. How could this God ever help you when you hate yourself? One of the best verses in all the Bible that should get way more press than it does is 1 John 3.20. 1 John 3.20 says, When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. When you're lying in bed at night and all you have is your thoughts and you have that gnawing sense of guilt, you want a God who can contradict you. God is fire. He is a living. He just is. He is the I am God. He is not the I am who you want me to be. I am who I am. And he's almost undefinable. He has this undefinable characteristic about him that we can't quite get our heads around. You may have a translation in verse 15, and this is throughout the Bible really, that when it talks about the Lord, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. almost misspelled mispron- that. And, uh, but your footnotes may say Yahweh, but that's, we add the vowels. It's not really that. It's more like this, without the vowels. And it's this name that no one really knows how to pronounce. I mean, we could just as easily pronounce it. It's just like, it's just like this thing that we don't really know how to pronounce it, but we put some... In fact, they don't even know where it comes. Sometimes, you know, we can find the, the, the root word of something. Everything word has a root word. You could trace it back to the root word so you kind of get the understanding. Of, but this, they can't trace this back. The best thing they can come up with is this Hebrew word that me, that's hayah, which simply means is and continues to be. And that's just even more, what does that mean? In Judges 13, 18, check this out. And the angel of the Lord, there it is, said to him, why do you ask you my name, seeing it is wonderful? And some translations say, seeing that it's too hard to understand. You can't, you can't, you, you can know some things about God, but you can't know everything there is about God. Now this is huge because as Americans, we, we tend to, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, we tend to formulate these systematic ways of viewing God. So God is like A, and he's like B, and he's like C. So God is this way, but God is not this way. God is like this, but God is not like that. But here in the Bible, He reveals Himself as what? Can't quite get your mind around this. This is why this Christian. This is why churches are filled with Christians who are just bored. There's no sense of awe. Uh, that, that that not the sense that He's transcendent. That He's other. That He's this God of fire. That he's this. This name that we can't even pronounce and we don't even know where it comes from. Now, getting handles on who God is is helpful, but what can become detrimental to your faith and will keep you from experiencing true living reality, the God of the Bible, is that we need to get back to this place where simply God is God and we are not. And like Moses, we take off our sandals, we look away, and we just begin to worship. I want to recapture this God of the Bible that we can't even find words for. That's other. That's transcendent. That is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Or as Paul said, in Christ there are unsearchable riches. You can know God. In fact, we're invited to know God, but He is not someone that you could fit in a box. He's transcendent. God is other. But it paradoxically, here's another thing that we learn about who God is, that he is a pursuer. Like, what we don't see here, it's not like Moses woke up and said, hey, you know, I think I'll go seek out God. In fact, in verse 2 it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Moses didn't go find God. God came and found Moses. Moses actually, uh, he's been out in the wilderness for tending sheep for 40 years. He, he you know, he was aristocrat back in Egypt. He had all that. He had the corner office. He had the salary. He had, the, he had all that. And he was disenfranchised with the world, but yet he was also disenfranchised with God. He was just content to wander in his job, in a life of meaningless and without purpose. And I would imagine there might be a few of people like this in this room this morning. You, you don't really buy into what the world has, but you've not really encountered living reality. Because God here pursues us. Moses didn't pursue. He didn't wake up. Hey, I want to see what God's up to. It doesn't work that way for us. We don't choose God. God chooses us. We don't initiate with God. God initiates with us. If we love, he first loves us. Now this is amazing news. I'm going to tell you why this is amazing news. Because whatever originates with man must be sustained by man. But what originates with God is sustained by God. If this is your idea, if this is my idea, this seeking out who God is, I'll quit. I'll fail. I'll give up. But God will bring it to completion. Paul just just exhorts wonderfully the the Philippian church. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he's the one who begins a good work in you. He who began a good work in you, he will finish it. He will complete it. That's amazing news. And this is who God is. God is a pursuer. He is a pursuer of us. He's always been a pursuer of us. If you go back into the garden, Genesis 3, you know, Adam and Eve, um, they were told not to eat of this one tree, but check this out. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for the food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to desire to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and, she, and he ate it. This is the original sin. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Check this out. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. And in the cool of the day, which just means the evening, and man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord so they weren't looking for God in fact they were trying to get away from God just like you and me among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man and said to him where are you now why did God say this did he just like really not know where they are and these kids they're always like taking their clothes off and hiding Like they're, I can't get a hold of them anymore is that it Here we see, in the very beginning, man and woman, because of their sin, running away from God. And here we see God, not content to see that happen, but pursues them in the garden. And he pursued Moses. And it goes on and on and on. It's the plot line through all the Bible. In Exodus 25, as the story continues... And let them make me, this is God speaking, a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Here's a God who wants to be with his people. And you read this through the Psalms and you get in the prophets. And the prophets pick up on this big time. And they're like, God is wanting to come amongst us and he's going to relate to us in a new way. He's going to have a new name. It's called Emmanuel, God with us. And then the gospel writer John starts off, in the beginning was the word. And the word was uh, made, what's that word? Flesh. It's like God's up in heaven. I got to get down there. I got to get down there. I got to get down there. And the angel's like, chill out. You have like forever. And he's like, I got to get down there. Being in a tent is not close enough. Being in a garden is not close enough. I got to take on flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and then began to go through the crowd. This is, this is amazing. It's subtle, but it's amazing. He began to touch people. The God who's untouchable, who's other, who's transcendent, begins to touch people. And he let people touch him. The untouchable, transcendent God becomes touchable. And then he began to teach his followers things like this. In in me coming to earth, Jesus says, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of heaven is now here. Here, pray this way. Here's how I want you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as he began to teach them about the kingdom, I want you to live in such a way, live under his rule and reign because when you live that way, there's a sense through which God's kingdom, God's heaven becomes to invade earth. Now this is huge because we often see religion as like man's attempt to get God, but God doesn't reveal him as like man, like man like tries to get to God, but this is God coming down into our world, heaven coming to us. and it, And this plays out in how we our sales pitch, right, in evangelism. And evangelism is like, hey, you want to get out of here? Is that really what's happening? Is, is this like us trying to escape this world to get to God, or is God the one throughout history who has come repeatedly to invade our world? So maybe the question isn't, do, I, do you want to go to heaven? Maybe the question is, do you want heaven to come to you? Because God is a God who pursues Revelation 21, or excuse me, Revelation 3, before we get to Revelation 21. Revelation 3 says, Jesus, I stand at the door and I'm knocking, I'm pursuing. And then this one, go back there, please? This one says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, saying the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God is a pursuing God. He is going after people. Well, what do we do then? How do we respond to this? What did Moses do? Well, he went over. True it's spiritual encounters don't happen because we we put in this effort, and we earn our way to God, But God in his grace comes to us, but we do respond. God initiates, but we do respond, and that's what Moses did. He goes over, he began, and he sees this bush, so he notices God. Now, what's interesting to me, got an Nice bush here. Um, is one of the thoughts that I had last week that just kind of cost me a little bit of time and reflection is how long it would take for a bush to completely consume. I mean, that's got to take 5, 10, 15 minutes. Well, I just want to know the text well, so why don't we find out? No. Now you're awake. So, no, we won't do that. Moses, this is fascinating. Moses sat to to notice that the bush wasn't actually being consumed. Moses had to stand there for five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes. Apparently, not much going on in the land of Horeb. This is like pre-Netflix days, and so we. Uh... But God in Moses, God finally finds someone with an attention span. It's probably why there aren't that many great spiritual leaders. How many here have a television? How many here have two televisions? How many here have Netflix? How many here have Amazon Prime? How many here have Hulu? How many here have ever stolen anything? Oh, gotcha. So, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry, couldn't resist. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Seriously, how many here have a smartphone? You got Twitter? You've got Facebook, you've got Instagram, you've got Snapchat. And we wonder why we can't hear the voice of God. What's fascinating is that it wasn't until Moses noticed, took the time to notice that this bush was not being consumed. It was, it was then and only then that God spoke to him. See, God is the God who's transcendent and other. And because of that, we view God as like this absentee landlord. Like we know he's there and he's going to make us pay the rent, but he's never there when you need him. So he's just there doing his deal and I'm here doing my deal. But he is other, but he is the God who pursues. He is the one who comes amongst. He's the one who wants to live with us. He is the one who dwells inside of us, if you are a believer, and all around us. God is in the most... Mundane things, and so when we wake up each day, God is at work. In fact, Jesus says that He says, "My Father is always at work." So maybe it's not so much that you, we don't really notice God, or that God is not there to be noticed, but we just don't notice Him. That He's that we're not paying attention. It takes time. That you have to you have to sit there. You have to wonder. To slow down enough to notice him, but it's not noticing him isn 't enough Moses he had to turn aside, and that word "turn aside means detour. He had to leave his sheep, he had to leave the, the ordinary business of life he had to set, he had to notice God, he had to have patience, but he also had to take a time out I am going to go, and i 'm going to encounter and connect with God. He had to slow down to hear what God has to say, and this isn 't just true for those who are who've never have experienced God before, but this is for all of us. If you're a Christian, want to continue to experience God in your life. First of all, you have to slow down and notice him. And then you have to take a detour in your life. Now, why is this possible? Why is having an encounter with God possible? Well, at first glance, this passage, the most puzzling thing about this passage is the burning bush. I mean, that's the thing, like, wow, how could a bush be burning but not be consumed by the fire? That's a, a puzzling thought. But that's actually not the most puzzling thing. Um, when Moses recognizes the burning bush and goes over, what is the first thing that God says to Moses? He doesn't say, here, come here, I want to give you a hug. He says, stop! For you are, you are standing on holy ground. Not you're about ready to stand on holy ground. You are standing on holy ground. Now, for those of us who've read the Old Testament before, know that when you are when you touch something connected to God's presence, it's not good news for you. If it's a mountain, if it's the Ark of the Covenant, if it's a t- if there's a certain place, a certain time, that when you like, there like a you know a, a cow bumps up into the Ark of the Covenant accidentally and dies. God's presence was holy, other, transcendent; it could not be touched. It could by um, by something that was unholy. Well, here's Moses who wasn't about to be on holy ground. He was on holy ground. He was in the fatal zone. Yet he's not consumed. Why is he not consumed? So when God says, Take off your sandals, I mean, he's in the fatal territory, but he does not die. Uh, but it's not just that. I mean, if you read on in the passage, I mean, God, I mean, excuse me, Moses begins to talk back to God. He begins to whine, God, why you, I don't want to do that. And he begins to whine back and he has this kind of banter. And so the biggest puzzle to this story isn't the fact that the burning bush doesn't get consumed by the fire. The biggest puzzle is how can Moses stand in the presence of God and not be consumed? Well, the answer is in verse 2. The angel of the Lord. It's the angel of the Lord in the bush. So the angel of the Lord is mediating this conversation and is mediating uh, Moses with God and God with Moses. It's the angel of the Lord that's mediating this presence, but it's no ordinary angel. In fact, it's not an angel. Um, if you read in Revelation, particularly in chapter uh, 21, these angels are so magnificent that people are are wanting to, are starting to worship. And the angel like shuts it down and says, you don't worship me. I'm not the one to worship. You worship Jesus. But here, he doesn't shut it down, but allows this worship to happen. That's because it's not an angel. So who is this? Well, if you fast forward a few hundred years, there's, um, there is uh, some religious leaders who are arguing with this young upstart teacher named Jesus, and saying, how dare you contradict us? Don't you know that we are the children of Abraham? Are you greater than Abraham? And the young teacher gives like the most amazing answer ever. He replied, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, it would have been something if he would have said, now before Abraham was, I was. But then all he would have been saying was, I'm 3,000 years old, and they would have just, what an idiot, and forget about him. But Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And they immediately tried to kill him because claiming to be God and not really being God was utter blasphemy. But this wasn't the first time Jesus said, I am. He said it here, but he also said it from that burning bush with Moses. He said, I am. I am. And it's only through Jesus Christ that Moses is able to stand in the fatal zone. It's only through Jesus Christ that he's able to, have, to stand in the presence of God to have this encounter. Otherwise, he would have been a goner. It's through the cross that we see just how loving Jesus is and just how holy he is. Because of the horror of the cross and the wrath of God towards him, we begin to see how ugly sin is and seeing how terrible that we've been. We see that in the cross, but we also see how loving he is, that he paid the ultimate price. A holy God just can't sweep sin under the rug, but a loving God can't bear to see us die in our sins. He has to come running after us. And that's what we see in Jesus. A God that we just make up and accepts us the way we are. It's a love that doesn't cost anything. There's no whips. There's no nails. There's no spears. There's no thorns. God is holy. He had to die for you. But he's loving that he was glad to do it. How do you know that you've had this encounter? Well, you answer the call. See, Moses answered the call. See, he had this conversation and God's like, Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here i got some stuff for you to do. I, you, you, You're in now. Like, I've saved you. You're out of Egypt. You're out of bondage. You're, you're in freedom right now. But I hear the cries of my people in Egypt. I hear the crack of the whip. I hear the pain and the suffering. I hear that, and I want to do something about it. And I want you to go tell them that I love them, and I want you to... Tell them that I want to break them out of their bondage. I don't know how you view God and how you make sense of the pain and suffering of the world. because There's a lot of it. But I want you to know that God hears the cries of the people on this earth. And so he pulls Moses aside and says, hey, you want to do this? And he pulls you and I aside and says, I hear the cries and the sufferings of those in South City, in Kirkwood, at the lake, in Washington, and all over the world. I hear the cries. Hey, you want to come do some stuff with me? See, Moses could have said, no, thank you. I'm going to to stick with the sheep. But he answers the call. I mean, he argues and all that, but he gets to it, just like you and I. But he gets to that place where this micro detour becomes this macro detour that changes the rest of his life. And this is all throughout the Bible. Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says, I want to bless you. And he blesses him. Now he says, now get out of here. Where am I going? I don't know. I'll tell you later. But you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Isaiah in the presence of God. Woe is me. I'm a sinful man. And then he sends him off to preach. Peter in the New Testament. God helps him catch a massive fish. He comes at the feet of Jesus. Gets on his knees and said, Lord, I am a sinful man. Jesus pulls him up and says, you will no longer be catching fish. You'll be catching men. To have a true encounter with God means to answer the call on your life. This micro detour leads to this macro detour, and your life is never the same. I remember when I was in college, um, I was a senior. It was 1998. I was at Mizzou. I was in my dorm room, and I was just about ready to graduate with a business degree, and I was going to make millions. Ask me how it's going. It's not going so well. And so we, um, but I had this. I was going to go, and this this was my passion, and this is what I was going to go for. And then God, and I, I just. I couldn't even spell church, much less like trying to like ever think I was ever wanting to be a part of a church. Certainly wasn't ever going to lead a church. I mean, most people meet me and they just think like this is, you know, you're born with a, you know, a Bible and a face mic. And that's how you, but that's not how it was. It was just like my life was going in a totally different direction. And God came to me sovereignly in my room. Remember, and I was just reading Psalm 8110. And where it says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. And at that moment, I mean, two things became real to me. One is God is a living God and he's real. And he spoke because I would never, the way it impacted me, I would have never thought of that. And the second thing is I, I, he was inviting me into this new life. And that set my, I, I ended up being a stockbroker for six years, but it's a longer story. But that, but that put me on a totally new trajectory. This micro detour in my day, listening to God. What is that? 19 years ago led to this macro detour of my life. And my life is a total shock to me. I would have never planned it. Your life is meant to be the same. It's not that you would go into, you know, full-time ministry per se. But God has a, God has a job for you beyond your job. God has a call on your life. He's got, he hears the cries of people that you work with. He hears the cries of the people in your neighborhood. He says, come on, you want to do some stuff? Will you answer the call?